Well, first I want to apologize for goofing up the series by not being here last week. Uh, I had what should have been very, very simple elective surgery, but I just seem to have a gift of complicating everything. So because of that, I was not here. Now, the good news is this. Kim was here, and I'm telling you, uh, all messages I've heard in my entire lifetime, I have never heard one better than the one that she presented to you guys last week. So uh, I'm kind of almost glad that, I'll, yeah, it was unbelievable. Yeah. So now I'm under a lot of pressure today. I don't know if I can live up to what she did. So give me a little slack to start with. I'm just going to do the best I can. That's all I can do. Well, we're in this series called Questionable Beginnings, and we're kind of looking at individuals in Scripture where God focuses attention on them because the start of their life and then the end of their life, it's very, very different. And individuals that you and I might look at the beginning of their life just perhaps like some people have looked at the beginnings of our life and thought, ah, that's not a good candidate for A, B, C, D, whatever it is. But God gets involved in your life, my life, and the lives of others, and everything starts to change. We, we are beings. You've got to understand this. Uh, there's this crazy notion sometimes that, you know, um, ah, that, that, that religion stuff, that, that's, that's good if that's what you need. You know, I understand if that's what you need. Listen, the Scripture declares we are made by Christ and for Christ, and life does not cohere, does not work out apart from Him. A human being cannot be a fully human, fully alive being apart from Christ, their creator. I don't care how gifted, I don't care how talented, I don't care how effective you are in any realm. You, I, we, all human beings that have ever lived need Christ. And so this is not just for those that, you know, find themselves in a jam or something like that. Anyway, let, let me get on with my subject today. So... <laughs> Suppose, in fact, let me ask you this first. How many of you guys have ever had your, your 15 minutes of fame? You know, like you were in a newspaper article or maybe the TV carried a story on you or news or you, somebody wrote an article about you. How many have ever had your, your 15 minutes? Can I see your hands? Okay. A lot, of, a lot of us had. A lot of us did in the first service too. So imagine, imagine that the story, whatever it was, it was, it was going to be told, written, broadcasted about something extraordinarily heroic and noble that you had done, okay? So most of us would say, yes, I would, I would love for as many people as possible, for as long as possible, to know that story about me. But, but imagine as the story goes out about you, and it's talking about something noble and heroic and virtuous that you've done, at the end of the story, when it describes you, it says, however, everybody that knows this person finds them to be the most despicable person they have ever met. <laughs> Would you still want your story all over the world, remembered again and again and again? How many like, I just soon let that go? Okay, that changes everything, doesn't it? We're going to look at a person whose story, their, their virtuous deed, their noble deed, their, their heroic act has been looked at for 3,500 years by not just thousands but millions of people right down to today and yet right in the description is the person's character is, is depicted in the most unflattering terms that you and I could ever imagine and yet the story goes on it's perpetrated on so let's let's get right to things uh i want to just start with a a little list here i'm not that's a little bit angled isn't it is that better okay yeah see i'm quick on my feet now 
I catch a thing or three. <laughs> this, um, this list I have up here, Hebrews chapter 11. I'm just curious, how many of you ever read Hebrews chapter 11 in your Bible? Don't lie now, you're in church. <laughs> it's a cool chapter. If you haven't read it, you ought to check it out. But Hebrews chapter 11, it's sometimes called the, uh, the, the Faith or Trust Hall of Fame. And it just has this list of people all through biblical history that God points his finger at and says, look at that person. That's the kind of trust I want to see everyone have in me. So he gives this list of people. Now I'm going to just kind of give you the list. This is kind of the, this is the actual order where you to read it all. Now it tells a little bit about each one when you get to Hebrews 11. But it talks about Abel. Remember there was Cain and Abel. Abel had an evidently short life. Cain was not such a nice guy. Then there was Enoch. Enoch lived 365 years and God took him to heaven he never died so far as we know then there's Noah we all know about Noah and the flood and so forth and then there's Abraham he's the guy that God calls to be the start of the nation Israel his son Isaac his grandson Jacob and then Moses we all know about Moses bringing the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage and then we get to Rehu the the what Rahab the can you say it you didn't know you were going to come to church and talk about prostitution did you but it's FCF so the <laughs> Rahab the prostitute uh, okay and then the list goes on there's Gideon there's Barak there's Samson there's Joseph there's Jephthah there's David and the prophets she's the only one that's described this way Rahab now she, she's in God's hall of fame of faith hall of fame of those that trusted in him in fact let, let me show you the verse that talks about her Hebrews 11 verse 31 by trusting or by faith same same greek word by trusting rahab the prostitute welcomed the spies and therefore did not die along with those who were disobedient well that makes you wonder because if you don't know the backstory you want to know the rest of the story here's the key though god is focusing on her trust and he's saying that's what i'm looking for but then she's called the prostitute it's just kind of this mixed message. It's a little confusing. So let's look at the let's look at the backstory. We're gonna go, we're gonna watch this person go from enticer to exemplar. Prostitute is an enticer, and she becomes an example, which we've seen in the book of Hebrews, an example of faith. She's also in, in the book of James. We'll see that later as well. So let's let's go on. And here's the backstory now. We're in the book of Joshua. We're going back. It is it is a date of 1420 BC, roughly 3,500 years ago from where we're at now. The Israelites have left Egypt. They've been 40 years wandering in the wilderness because of their disobedience, but now Moses has died. Joshua has taken over. The Israelites are now ready to listen to God, trust him, and enter into the promised land. God had given the Canaanites in the promised land 400 years to repent of their behavior. They did not. You can read about this in Genesis 15. So now he was going to judge them, push them out of the land using the Israelites. Joshua is his chosen leader to do this. This is a military campaign of about seven and a half years. All right. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim, Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. We all know about the wall falling down. So they went and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Mind you, Rahab is, is a part of the city of Jericho. The king even knows her when you read the, the whole text of Joshua. She's been there, best we can tell, for her whole life and evidently been functioning a good part of it as a prostitute. Let's go on. Now, these are Rahab's words. These Israelite spies come to her. She hides them, and she says this. I know, she's talking, this is Rahab. I know the Lord has given you this land. 
Now, mind you, she didn't have any Bible. She, she didn't have any exposure to Moses, and yet she, she heard. I know the Lord has given you this land. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, now this is the big part, This is Rahab, a woman that has had no religious education other than the pagan Canaanite religion, which we, were we to see today, we would recognize as being just uh, horrific, cold Satanism. I mean, the the things they they sacrifice children, all kind of horrible things. So that's all she's been exposed to, and yet she makes a statement. For the Lord, your God, is God in heaven above and on earth below. This is a big statement. I mean, what, what Rahab, the prostitute, is saying, I know the truth about life. And the truth about life is there's one God that created everything and sustains everything. And I know, based on the miraculous evidence of the way he brought you guys out of Egypt, I know he's the true God, the one God. He rules in heaven above, and he rules on earth below. This is a confession of faith. This is a confession of her trust. She is saying, I know and I trust in your God. How much does she trust in this God? She risks her life, frankly, betrays her own people because she so trusts in the God she's never seen, the God whose word she's never read because the Bible did not exist, but she had only heard a small portion about her. Her trust is phenomenal when you look at it from that perspective. So it goes on. Now, here's the rest of the story. So now you're going fast forward to Joshua 6. The Israelites attack. The city walls of Jericho fall down. You know the story. And it says, but Joshua spared. That was the deal she made. She said, if you'll spare me, I'll hide the spies. I won't give them away. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day it's a really cool statement there's so much more packed in there and you won't know till the end of this message what it involves when this was written she was still a part of the Israelite community and that's where we'll kind of turn a corner now so let's let's look at first of all the the very unpleasant subject of prostitution now I'm not going to do a big study into prostitution but let's look at some components of it because here's the deal We have to examine the deadly dynamics of being an enticer. A prostitute is fundamentally an enticer. Uh, A prostitute seeks to seduce, entice someone to uh, become involved with them intimately for a price. Now, prostitution, frankly, is a good uh, example of what all sin is. Sin is causing you and I to live in a way that is contrary to the way that God designed us we may do it knowingly or unknowingly but we we devalue ourselves in the process a prostitute is someone that is giving themselves away way way too cheaply I don't care what the price is it's not enough a prostitute is someone that's given given something that God gave to them to be shared in intimate marriage and they're giving it away as just something that is inconsequential whenever you and I sin what God calls sin we have to understand something about sin sin is not like God just said okay I don't know I'm God so I I don't have much to do today so I'm gonna make up some rules Um, do this don't do that do this don't do that do this don't do that because I can I'm just gonna make up some rules sometimes I hear people talking it sounds like they really believe 
that God is just arbitrary. And then when he calls something sin, it's just because he's out of touch and he doesn't really understand the human situation. Listen, when God calls something sin, it is a loving God that designed every cell in our being who loves us with intensity that no human can duplicate and who says, I so want what is best for you and I so know what is best for you because I built you, I designed you, I made you for myself. Please, please do these things because they will elevate you, they will develop you, they will bring you the quality of life I want you to have, the quality of life that God himself enjoys. And then he says, please don't do these things because whether you know it or not, they bring inevitable, listen to that word, inevitable consequences. They may not be immediate. We may not know when they're happening. You'll see why that is a little bit later in this message. But he says, sin is not arbitrary. It's, it's what is degrading you. You are living below your value. You are meant to be a child of God. You are meant to bear the image of the living God, and you are meant to experience the quality of life that God himself does. But we can't. We deprive ourselves. We devalue ourselves. We degrade and lower ourselves. We sell ourselves out when we sin. And that's why prostitution is a really good model for what sin is. Now, there's some other aspects of this. Now, when it comes to being an enticer, listen, you don't have to be a prostitute to be an enticer. There's no doubt in my mind that we all know people in this room that their entire life revolves around their capacity to control others, to manipulate others, to con others, to trick others, to deceive others. They present one image because they are trying to move us in one direction or another for some design that they have enticing seducing presenting an image to somebody so that you can control them it, it is not something that just prostitutes do it's something that other human beings do in various contexts but it's equally terrible because it's a de dehumanizing thing that's the thing i want to look at when we examine the deadly dynamics of being an enticer the first thing we come upon is that it has an unrecognized dehumanization component to it unrecognized dehumanization what do i mean for Rahab, the prostitute, uh, she was treating herself as just an object, just as a service offered. She was also, though, so she's objectifying herself. She's making herself a thing, not a person. She's also doing the same thing, though, with her customers. They, they are just uh, customers to her. They are commerce. They are money to her. They are not human beings. There, there's a kind of a object objectification that goes on that dehumanizes. She's dehumanized. She dehumanizes the people who come to her. Here, here's another example of this dehumanization. The average person that actually goes to a prostitute is disgusted with the prostitute, but they still go and they still pay their money. And the prostitute is equally disgusted with the person that comes to them, but they still go through with it because they want the money. So this dehumanization, you don't look at the person as a human anymore. You look at them as a thing, and you look at what you can get out of them, and it's a, it's a very sick, dehumanizing kind of a thing. And so this was the way her life went. Now, it's not just prostitutes that dehumanize people. We all can knowingly and unknowingly dehumanize people, and it's an extremely dangerous thing. Jesus pointed to the religious leaders of his day as those that were categorically dehumanizing nearly everybody except a fellow religious leader. Look at this portion of Scripture from the New Testament, Luke 18, 9. Jesus also told this parable to people who were sure of their own goodness and despised how many people? Everybody else. 
<laughs> I'm just curious. You ever meet one of these kind of people? You talk to them, and they got something negative to say about everyone. Everyone. How many know some people like that? Yeah, they, they secretly or openly despise everyone. These guys that Jesus was pointing to, they, they thought they were so good, so acceptable in the sight of God, but they thought it was equally acceptable to dehumanize everybody else. When you despise a human, per, a human being, you have taken away their God-given value, and you've dehumanized them. And if you know anything about history, before slaughters take place, Usually there's the dehumanization. All you gotta do is look at World War II. You know, they dehumanized the Jews. They made them where they're not quite a whole human being and it made it really easy to kill them. And it's not just there, it's happened all through human history. So dehumanization, Jesus goes on and gives one more example. It's connected in the passage. He says, this man, this is the religious leader thinking to himself, he says, God, how I thank you that I'm not on the same level as other people. Crooks, cheaters, the sexually immoral, like this tax collector over here they hated tax collectors in those days because tax collectors sold out the jewish nation worked for the romans collected taxes for the romans betrayed their fellow citizens so that's why they were despised but jesus is pointing out the way he dehumanized in other words this religious guy if he saw a crook or a cheater or somebody sexually immoral or a tax collector he didn't look at them as a human being anymore they were below being human prostitution and prostituting ourselves puts us in this condition where we are dehumanized and we dehumanize others. It's not something that just a prostitute can experience. Now, there's another side to this thing. It doesn't just dehumanize us. I, I just want to ask you a question. What if, what if you were to wake up tomorrow morning and you're just like, man, something's wrong with my hands. They just don't feel right. And then you say, phew. My feet, my feet don't feel right either. And, and then when you finally took a look, it's first thing in the morning. You haven't really had a chance to look at yourself. First thing in the morning, you take a look, and this is what you see. Yeah. And I, by the way, I want to thank the gentleman for allowing us to take those photographs. You know who you are. No. <laughs> no. No. They're calluses. It's not leprosy. It's plain, ordinary, hard work calluses. Now, can calluses like this appear overnight? No. The answer, please, if you're confused. Trust me. Cannot happen. No. No, it can't. So how do calluses occur? Really, 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 yeah, it is that skin. Really, really slow. Really, really slow. Friction. It's just friction. And it happens almost without us knowing it. You might get a blister at first, but then it goes away. And, and it, it just keeps on, keeps on. So what happens is the portion that becomes the callus becomes more and more and more desensitized until the callus is formed. And based on the degree of the callus, how thick it is, the desensitization can almost become complete. You know, when we were little kids, you know, you got a callus on your hand, you stick a pin in it, oh, look, it doesn't hurt, it doesn't hurt, you know. <laughs> desensitization. When we, and in fact, let me just go to my topic here, undetected desensitization. This is the next thing we see in the dynamics of prostitution and dealing with prostitution. And by prostitution, remember what I said, it can involve a lot of different things. We're not just talking about the overt act. 
But this desensitization, you, you need to hear this. I, I wish I would have learned this earlier in life. I, I, I was very, very embarrassingly late uh, learning this. Here's the deal. Desensitization takes place very slowly, very gradually. We rarely know when it's happening. Now, now here's what I'm getting at. The people that came to Rahab would have thought probably bad thoughts about her. They would have, again, dehumanized her, you know. Yes, they would have used the service. They would have perhaps said bad things about her. Likewise, she would have been disgusted with the people coming to her, would have thought bad thoughts about them, and said bad things about them. They would have categorized her. Oh, she's nothing but a, but a you know, prostitute. She would have categorized them. Here's the problem with this. God has so wired, he has so created our inner machinery. It is so fine-tuned. Trust me on this one. That when you and I knowingly or unknowingly think incorrect thoughts about another human being, not the kind of thought. In other words, we are seeing a human being thinking thoughts about them that God himself would never think about them. When we knowingly or unknowingly do this, and when we say things about another human being that God himself would never say, maybe we categorize them, maybe we lump them together with some undesirable you know, lump of humanity. When we think about them this way or talk about them this way, here's what happens in our own souls, whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not. We're forming a callus. We're just getting a little bit more insensitive and a little bit more insensitive, but we don't even know it. We don't even know it's happening. We are becoming not a full human being. We, we are less human and less alive. We're dying inside. We are becoming less like Christ. We're not attuned with the sensitivity and compassion and love that God wants us to embrace, experience, and pass on, but it happens. We don't even know it. So I am, I am begging you, learn a lesson that took me way too Little innocent things, little stupid things. We say, oh, that person's this, that person's that, you know. I've done it way too much of my life. It does damage to us. And it makes us insensitive, and it takes a long while. <laughs> you ever get a big, big, bad callus like that? You know it takes a long while to get rid of that thing. All this is incorporated with the deadly dynamics of being an enticer, both those that are enticed and those that involve themselves with the enticer. There's a verse that's hardly ever, in my opinion, understood. Romans 3.23. I bet you all of us know it, but from a different version. It usually goes, for all have sinned and come short of, what does it say? You tell me. The glory of God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And you know how most of us read this just from reflex? Oh, well, nobody's perfect. We all sin. Everybody sins. We're all guilty. We all need forgiveness. That's just the way we read it. But that is not, not, not all that that verse is saying. I like this particular translation. It gets to the heart of the matter. For all have sinned and thereby are deprived of the what? The glory, the glory of God. You see, you, I, we, all human beings, we were meant to, to, to wear to experience God's glory. What is his glory? His glory is his character. We were meant to have the same inner life that God himself does, to know the peace, the joy, the love, the compassion, the gentleness, the kindness, the consistency and confidence and all these things that come about the glory of God is his character and when we knowingly or unknowingly sin which is living contrary to our design we deprive ourselves of the life experience that we were created for that's what that verse is really teaching most of us think about it in a, in a sort of a, a penal construct that okay man you sin you broke the laws so you're going to get punished sooner or later so you better get God's forgiveness well 
Yeah, that's there too, sort of, but that's not the intent of the word. So we can desensitize ourselves, I'm going to say it one more time, just by thinking incorrectly about others or by speaking incorrectly about others. We don't know it when it's happening. We, we think nothing's going on, but something's going on inside. Some of, us, some of what should be alive and growing in sensitivity is dying and becoming less and less sensitive. All right, so, so we've looked at the the deadly dynamics of being an enticer let's get on the positive side of this thing because we know the scripture talks about Rahab in positive light yes she's called the prostitute but she's also a model of faith all through scripture so we want to examine the desirable dynamics of uh, being an exemplar because she goes from being an enticer to an exemplar to, to being an example so what's involved in this so she leaves her own people trust in the God of Israel leaves and goes and settles down with them Joshua tells us in chapter 6 hey she's still living here with us when that was written 1420 well 3500 years ago for us roughly so so what happens let's look at it carefully the first thing is divine reconciliation Rahab experienced divine reconciliation every single human being that's ever lived ever will live must if they're going to be fully human and fully alive they must experience we must experience reconciliation with God we lost trust in God in the garden of Eden Genesis chapter 3 when Satan slandered God and God now has been trying to win back our trust our confidence to save us to rescue us and until we are reconciled to him and that is a relationship that is not a formula that is not some pat formula like, like asking Jesus into your heart no 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 it is coming to the place in life that is a, a thinking intelligent human being you say you know everybody following somebody and everybody has their supreme trust in someone most of us put our supreme trust and are following ourselves through most of our life that's what I did until age 23 but reconciliation happens when I say you know what at age 23 this is what I did I said I don't find myself trustworthy I'm going to put my trust in Christ the creator of the universe and the one that loved me enough to sacrifice himself on the cross to demonstrate his love for me I am not going to follow Randy anymore he is untrustworthy I'm putting my trust in Christ and I'm going to follow him fully and I'm following him freely and I'm going to follow him forever I become reconciled to God I go from distrusting God and really not wanting him in my life and off my back to wanting him as the center the leader the guide the light of my life I want his word I want his will because I trust him more than I trust me I'm reconciled I'm back in a relationship with God it's an authentic relationship Rahab became reconciled to God I believe you're the your God is the real God he's the God in heaven above he's the God on earth below I'm willing to risk everything to be a part of him and his movement is in essence what she did and that's what she's lauded for in scripture so divine reconciliation the new testament talks to us about this we're literally to be as christ followers agents of reconciliation you see here's the deal about reconciliation when a human being is reconciled to god they then can start to be reconciled to themselves living with a self that you loathe that you can't stand it's literally like walking around through life with a dead body tied on your back. I'm sure that's how Rahab felt. The reason that most prostitutes today are drug addicts is because they cannot stand what they are. Somehow inside, they know they're meant to be this beautiful being, child of the living God, wearing his image, and yet they have sold themselves out, and the pain cannot be escaped. And so they drug themselves, distract themselves, do whatever they can do, 
to nullify the pain and alter their mood. But it's not just prostitutes that do that. Every human being does that until they're reconciled to God. Once I'm reconciled to God, I know that he's with me. I know that he loves me. I know that my life has a purpose and a meaning. I know that he forgives me. I know that I have a future. I know who I am, why I'm here, how I'm to live, what the meaning of life is. I'm reconciled not just to God. I'm reconciled to myself, and I'm reconciled to life. All that happened, I believe, with Rahab. And, of course, when you're reconciled with God and yourself, anyone else that's reconciled to God will be reconciled with you. Any of the Israelites that were truly reconciled to God, that really trusted in God, and not all the Israelites did, just like in this room here today, as much as I'd like to think that everybody in this room has put their trust in Christ and are his followers, the truth is unlikely that that's so. Some of us here may be in the process where we're still thinking about putting our trust in Christ and following him. Some of us are just here because somebody wanted us to be here. There's all kinds of reasons you could be here. You might be trying to make a business connection, a love connection. I don't know, anything. I've seen a lot of stuff through my years. (laughs) But some of us here, we are so, we are so awestruck that the creator of the universe cares for us and we have put our trust in him and we love him and we are serious and we are reconciled to him. We want his will, his ways, his word. And anyone else we see that's equally reconciled with him, they are our brother, they are our sister. We are for them, we are with them. And so we become not just reconciled to God, reconciled to ourselves, we become reconciled to everyone else that's truly reconciled to God. All that, all that happened with with Rahab. And then it's just natural, we become agents of reconciliation with other human beings. We want other human beings to come back to God, to come back to our truth and our roots. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through who? Through us. He's not going to come meet somebody in their bedroom at night. He's going to come to them through me or you when we open these mouths of ours. He's going to make his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be, what does it say? Be reconciled to God, which means I didn't really trust him. I didn't really think about him. I didn't really want him bothering, messing up my life. But I've changed my mind. I, I do trust him now. I do want him leading. I want him guiding. All that's involved in reconciliation. Rahab was reconciled to God, reconciled herself to the people of God that were really reconciled to God. And then she started experiencing divine restoration. Those that God brings back into fellowship with himself, he starts to restore. We have degraded through sin, knowingly and unknowingly. We've degraded our image, devalued our image, denigrated our image, brought harm to ourselves. When we come back to trusting God, he starts teaching us his will, his ways, and his word. And, and as we comply with it, do what he says, stop doing what he says, stop doing, we start to heal. We, we start to be developed. We start to grow. We become fully human and fully alive once again divine restoration psalm 23 beautiful uh, expression to this he meaning god the shepherd the lord is my shepherd he restores my soul he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake i love that for his name's sake you know what that's really saying it's saying he's going to guide you he's going to guide me in paths of righteousness because that's just who he is he just is good all the time and he is incapable of doing anything else except guiding those that will be guided into the path of righteousness but restoration of soul now this is where the Rahab story goes awry in my opinion this is where we get stuck so 
She leaves the Canaanites. She leaves Jericho. She moves in with the Israelites. She takes their God to be her God. She's reconciled to God. But she is still described all through the Bible as Rahab the prostitute. 3,500 years. People are still reading her story. Rahab the prostitute. It doesn't say Moses the murderer, but he was. It doesn't say Noah the naked drunk, but you know that he did. It doesn't say David the adulterer and cowardly murderer, but he was, for you that know the Bible. Why, why does it just keep saying Rahab the prostitute? 3,500 years. Her heroic, her heroic trust is held out, and yet her infamy, her character is defamed again and again and again. I mean, maybe what God's trying to tell us is that his grace is way bigger than we think it is. I mean, maybe he's trying to use Rahab as an example so that no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter what, what mistakes, errors, sins, evil, calculated evil that we've done or become, that he still loves us and his mercy is still available. And maybe, maybe that's the storyline is that God just wants us to be more authentic and open that, you know, knock off this act like we're something perfect. You know, we're just, we're Christians. We're forgiven, but we're not perfect. Maybe he wants through Rahab by calling her Rahab all this time for you and I to just start, you know, knock off the fake holiness and just kind of own that we are very messed up beings and in his grace it makes his grace even more sufficient when we own how messed up we still are because it doesn't look like she ever got restored she she's just always Rahab Rahab the harlot Rahab the prostitute so maybe we should go around like this uh, well, well let me let me refer you to this passage of scripture here, here she is again in James and she's used again as an example of what real trust in God looks like her actions proved her trust in God in the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies we read about that and sent them out off in a different direction so so maybe the lesson with Rahab is that we just need to stop being a little bit sheltered about who we really are we just need to be authentic and just enjoy God's grace so maybe we should just start going around like this you know what if everyone was named for their past John and June the junkies maybe you can identify I did some drugs in my time Manny and Mary the manipulators Luke and Lisa the liars Sam and Sarah the slanderers Theo and Thelma the thieves Don and Dee, the drunks. Maybe you know them. Frank and Francis, the fornicators. How many don't know what fornication is? It's okay. It's okay. You're in church. It's having sex with someone that you're not married to before marriage, okay? Frank and Francis, the fornicators. Adam and Amy, the adulterers. That's having sex with somebody after you're married with somebody that's not your spouse. (laughs) Pedro and Pam, the pornographers. They like them some pornography. Harriet and Herb, the hypocrites. I mean, maybe the message of Rahab, maybe the message of Rahab is that knock it off, you bunch of, you know, stuck-up Christians, and give people some grace and some slack because you're not so perfect yourself. Rahab the prostitute, 3,500 years. What do you think? I wasn't really, it was rhetorical. I wasn't really asking for your <laughs> 
you don't know this, it's impossible for me to have a conversation with you and have a conversation with everybody else. We do this occasionally, I know. <laughs> well, let me, let me try to show you one other scripture. This is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. It's one of those scriptures that, well, I shouldn't assume anything, right? Because when you assume, you know, we all know what that thing um, you and me, you know. The, how many of you, you just love to read the genealogies of the Bible? Can I see your hands? <laughs> okay, there are a few. <laughs> see, it's a good thing I didn't say it. But most of us tend to skip over the genealogies of the Bible. But here's one we should have never skipped over. Look at Matthew chapter 1. It says, Salmon was the father of Boaz. Some of you, that name is familiar. Whose mother was Rahab. Whoa. Whoa, wait, wait. Where's this going? Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Some of you know the book of Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of who? Folks, Rahab the prostitute is in the lineage of Jesus. God put her there. But you're not really getting what I'm saying. None of you in here are really getting what I'm saying. You missed it. Trust me, you did. You missed it. Look again. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother, mother, mother was Rahab. When Rahab became an Israelite and trusted in the God of Israel, she ceased from being a prostitute. She would have never been able to continue prostitution in Israel. It was against the laws of God. She was married. She was treated with dignity because she turned to God. And everybody that knew her, I believe, could see it. She marries an honorable man. She produces a child who is in the lineage of King David, who is in the lineage of Jesus. What are you saying, Randy? I'm saying Rahab never read. She never read the stuff that multitudes, millions have been reading all these centuries. She never read her name as Rahab the prostitute. She was treated with dignity. She was treated with honor as one that trusted God to the point of risking her life. She was married, and she had a child, and she was treated as a mother. She ceased to be a prostitute. This cheap, nonsensical idea about grace that does not change us and does not transform us, it deprives us. And it makes a mockery of the message of Christ. I'm going to show you something. I'm going to show you a verse. You're not going to enjoy this particular part of this message, but I know the Spirit of God wants us all to take this journey together. So you bear with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. It says, don't you know? Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. Mixed bags. Some were real followers of Christ. Some were not. Some thought they were or said they were, but they were clearly not. You'll see. Don't you know that the unrighteous people will have no share in God's kingdom? That means if you need it in a simpler form, they're not going to heaven. Don't, what does it say? delude yourself don't deceive yourself don't kid yourself don't lie to yourself Paul is saying 
people who engage in sex before marriage, he's giving a list now of people that he's saying, don't delude yourself if you're on the list. People who engage with sex before marriage, who worship idols, the list goes on, who engage in sex after marriage with someone other than their spouse, who engage in active or passive, can you say the word? Homosexuality. It goes on. Who steal, who are greedy, who get drunk, who assail people with contemptuous language. That's profanity. When we use profanity, we become profane. Who rob, none of those will share in what? Kingdom of God. Whoa. Paul, what about grace, Paul? What about forgiveness, Paul? It goes on, though. It, it, it's, it gets better. Some of, he's writing to the Corinthians. They're, they're listening to this. They're all together gathered, reading the letter. Some of you, what does it say? Used, past tense, used. You, you used to do these things. Wait a minute, wait a minute. He's saying, you know, when you first came to church, man, you were having sex everywhere you could. You didn't care. You, you were committing adultery. You were practicing homosexuality. You, you were stealing. You were robbing. You were using all kind of profanity. It just sprayed out of your mouth like water. You know? He's saying you, you used to. You used to. In the past tense, this is what you were like. Some of you used to do these things, but you have, what does it say? Two words. Cleanse yourself. How many of you know that all through Scripture, Old Testament and New, repeatedly it says that God waits for those that trust Him to cleanse ourselves? How many of you have ever had, uh, you, you had babies? Let me see your hands. Okay, when that baby was three months old, did that baby cleanse itself or did you cleanse it? Right? You did the cleansing. How many of you got sons that are 30 years old? Can I see your hands? Anybody got a son 30 years old? Would you give him a bath now if he, did, if he could do it for himself? Okay, all right. When God says to us, cleanse yourself, it's because he wants us to want what he wants. He wants it to be authentic. He wants it to be real. We have the power to do this. And when we trust in Christ and are reconciled to God and reconciled to his people and reconciled to ourselves, that, that, that strength starts to build up and we can start to go to war with our old ways and our old habits and we can put them to death just like scripture tells us to do so that we used to do those things but we're not still doing them because Paul says if we're still doing them, you're not headed for God's kingdom. It's an impossibility. It's a prepared place for prepared people. And if we're still practicing habitual sin, we have misunderstood God's grace and we're destroying ourselves. Rahab was a wife with dignity and holiness and righteousness and a mother that raised a godly child. And God wanted the attention drawn to her. She never read those words about herself. It wasn't available. It's only later on that it gets in the Bible. She never got a chance to read the Bible. It didn't exist in her day. She never had to hear that thing about herself. But God wants us to hear it so that none of us despair. It doesn't matter who we are, where we're at, what, how deep the habit is, how deep the rut we've dug. There is grace for those that are humble enough to seek God and turn to Him in trust. And in a word that we think in churchy terms of, it's called repentance. It means to change our minds. I'm, I'm going to change my mind about 
living my way and I'm now going to live God's way. So here, here's the deal. We're all going to leave here in just, just a second. Are we going to leave here as those that you used to? I used to practice homosexuality. I used to be a passive practitioner of homosexuality. And, and by the way, folks, we're being bombarded today. You, you just need to hear this. I'm sorry. You just need to know this. Somebody has to give you clarity. That's the greatest gift I can give you. I don't care what society is telling us today. Homosexuality is not God's will, never been God's will, never will be God's will, nor is transgenderism. The scripture speaks specifically about it. And I am begging you, be a lover of God and mankind enough not to affirm people that are embracing this to escape persecution ourselves. And we're not going to be able to escape it much longer, folks. God's purifying his church. He's shaking everything that can be shaking. He's bringing together a remnant of those that are going to stand faithful no matter what. We're running out of places to run and hide. The world is closing in on us, and it's an angry mob that's saying, unless you say the right things, unless you do the right things, unless you walk the party line, you're going to be punished severely. And I am begging you, prepare yourself to be faithful to God. If we are faithful to God, we need not fear anything that man can do, even if we, we are persecuted. So, we're all going to walk through the doors. We're going to walk through on that list. Used to. I did that stuff. I did a lot of it. I did all of it, maybe. And I used to, but I don't anymore. Christ has won my trust, and I love him. And when he says, stop it, I stop it. And when he says, learn it, I learn it. I used to, but no more, no more, no more. And maybe some of us, we say, today is the day. It starts today. No more. I used to, but no more. After today, it's no more. And I'll fight with myself as long as I have to. And then, sadly, some of us are going to walk through the door just as we came in. And we're on that list we're on that list of those that God cannot take into his heaven, his world to come because you'd be miserable. You'd be a misfit. And if you can, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, if you can leave the intensity of the pressure that the Spirit of God has put forth in both services this morning, I fear for you. I'm not saying you're beyond salvation. I'm saying it's a dangerous thing to receive this level of truth in an environment of love and do this. It's a dangerous thing. I beg you not to do it. If you're here and you know you haven't really put your trust in Christ and become his follower and you're still dabbling with all these self-destructive things, man, today is your opportunity. I don't know that you'll ever get one with this kind of intense pressure of God's spirit that is here this morning. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, it's your will. I, I know you're, you're up to something very, very good. May your spirit bring deliverance. May chains be broken. May some of us that have been rutted into habits, lifestyles, for decades even, may it be broken this instant, this minute, before we walk through those doors. And may heaven rejoice as new names are added and new lives are saved. 
and new souls are brought to life. I ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.